Well, this week, um, the chapter that you did corresponds with the book, chapters 5 and 6, which talks about having goals um, for what is your goal that you're trying to accomplish with your children. And, you know, I thought, well, hmm, I, I don't really know. You know, I mean, you, you have things that you want to, uh, to accomplish or that you want your children to turn out to be, but I don't know that I've... Um, that I have goals printed out, you know, somewhere of what, how to do that. And so reading this chapter was like, oh, huh, well, mm, okay, I did that <laughs> thing that he said not to do. <laughs> um, and so it was a real eye-opener, but um, we're going to go through and talk about some of those things and... Um, You'll have to bear with me. I have all my notes here, and I have to look at them, or there's no telling what might come out. <laughs> uh, oh, I did want to say that I know that I'm dressed like spring. <laughs> uh, I got up this morning, and this is uh, all that I could find. And <laughs> it was springy, and I thought, this is what I want the weather to be like, so I'm going to wear it. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe it'll... Uh, help us get through this dreariness, you know. Um, but anyway, back to the lesson. Um, uh, I want to say that I'm I'm not speaking as one who got it all right. In fact, as I said, I, I when I read this, I am so convicted that um, I want to throw the book <laughs> across the room and give up and send my children to someone else's house. But um, but. Uh, Um, he starts out by saying that if you look at the Old Testament, um, you see when Israel came into the land that he told them to send them to kill them. Do you remember that? He told them to go in, get rid of everybody, to kill all those influences that are there. And why did he do that? Because they were bad influences. And he knew that if those people lived, if the Israelites lived among those people who were worshipped all these terrible things and did all these terrible acts that they would be influenced by those people. Well, today, that's where we live. We live in that same society. We think it's horrible. Actually, it was probably worse then than it is now, and I cannot imagine that. Can you? But we are up against terrible odds. I mean, you know, used to, if you raised your children in a godly environment and taught them godly principles, you were at least respected, even if people didn't agree with you. But it, now it's gotten to the point where you're not really even respected for your thought to be weird and harsh and ugly and rude if you have expectations for your children. And so in light of all that, we have to start, we have to think about what's our goal in raising our children and we have to equip our children to function in this world or in this culture that has abandoned the knowledge of God. And, you know, it's easy with all the influences around us to start teaching our children to use their abilities and their talents and their intelligence to make their lives um, better and, and with, with no reference to God. We just want them to be their best, and we... Um, of course, we want them to worship God, but uh, and 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 serve God. But a lot of times, because of how we how we're surrounded, 
our motives get kind of muddy and we start thinking, okay, they need these other things to be successful. And, and of course, I want them to serve God, but they need these other things to be successful. And so um, we have to um, think about that and make sure that we're teaching our children to put God first. And um, I'm going to go over some of the, he lists some goals in here that, that people have or our parents have that are, they're not good, they're, they're good things, but they're not, they shouldn't be our goal. And so I'm going to go over those things. And the first one he talks about is that some parents concentrate on having their kids in everything. We have them in multiple activities. So you spend every afternoon taking your kids to soccer, baseball, football, swimming, gymnastics, cheerleading, dance, hockey, piano, guitar. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And you feel that pressure, don't you? I, I did as when my kids were smaller. And even now, I feel like, you know, sometimes people are judging me because my kids didn't take, you know, play football or they didn't start baseball when they were two or, you know, and it, there's a lot of pressure because you think if my kids are going to be good baseball players, then they have to start as soon as they're born or they're not going to be able to keep up. I mean, don't you feel like that sometimes that, 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 um, or, you know, they need to be able to play a musical instrument. So Susie has guitar and on Mondays and Sam has football and, Elijah has soccer, and, and you're taking one here, and t- while you're taking that one there, then you go back to get this one and take that one over there and come back, and, get, and it's like, you know, you, you're busy, 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 and on top of that, we're, um, you know, we get so caught up in what the world expects of us that there's a lot of pressure on us to be good parents, and that depends on how many activities we have our children in. And it can be good activities. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, and he's, I don't think he's saying that these things are bad, but one thing he did talk about is, you know, that we're, we guard our children and watch our children, but we're willing to take our children to football practice to a coach that we don't know and say, here, mentor my child, <laughs> you know, and that we don't know what that coach is teaching our child or if it's coming from a godly worldview or what's, you know, what kind of coaches we have. And, uh, and we don't really think about that. We just think about the activity that they're learning how to play football or baseball or whatever. And um, another thing he brought out was that, that a lot of times these activities teach our children to trust in themselves. And that was, I was like, oh, hmm, yeah. Because <laughs> he says, you know, we, we praise them and um, we, we teach them to develop these skills. And then we, you know, oh, you did great. That was so wonderful. You hit it out. You're the best baseball player in the world because we want them to have good self-esteem. And, but then he says, you know, but you're teaching them that, um, that those abilities are their abilities. And you're not, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's probably a good point, <laughs> you know, that we should be saying, you know, you have those abilities because God gave you those abilities and pointing that out to them and as um, regard to these abilities and that those are not their own abilities and um, that they... Um, we tend to glorify our children because they're such good athletes and talented musicians. Um, But God is um, to be glorified and praised for giving him those talents and skills and to be used for ministry in his service. And we need to, you know, teach our children that. And and I'll be honest, I probably didn't do that. I mean, I 
I was, you know, I did guard how much, how act, active the kids were because I didn't want to be in the road all the time. I knew that I didn't want to be that way. And so I would let them have one activity. But um, and, and when you have two children, that's two activities a week with which football could be every night of the week. So, you know, it adds up quick. But you know all that. But, but um, you know, I'm not sure that after they played I was – they're saying, God gave you such great abilities. I was like, let's go get pizza. You did great. (laughs) So there we are glorifying pizza and themselves. (laughs) The next thing he mentions is psychological adjustment. And he talks about how uh, that uh, it can be seen as a success that our child is psychologically, you know, their psychological well-being, that they f- have good self-esteem and they're not spoiled. And we read all kinds of books. Well, I don't, but some people read books. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, on how to have well-adjusted children and good self-esteem and not be too hard on them or, you know, have spoiled kids and... Um, Buy the books and tell them uh, to take up for themselves, and don't don't let anybody take advantage of you. And and uh, you know, and he makes you know the point in there. Where is that in scripture to teach them to take up for themselves? Do we pray that God will help them be stronger than the other guy and beat him up, or you know? <laughs> and it, it doesn't say that, but you know. And then he talks about um, you know, I he didn't mention this, but I taught school for a while and then just being around uh, schools you know a lot of times parents blame the teachers that the the child is never at fault the child is never wrong it's always the teacher that did something to their child to make their child have a d Mm -hmm. or the teacher did something to make their child hit this other child it's never the child I wasn't going to share this, but, you know, I taught school for a while, and I taught high school Bible, and I had this guy who I know was addicted to cocaine or on some kind of drugs. I mean, he could not sit up in class because he was so doped up, and so uh, I turned him into the office for that. Well, his mom came in and was very upset with me because he was on cold medicine. He, he's got sinus problems. Because he has cold medicine a lot, <laughs> you know. But it, that's the, the mentality uh, a lot of people have, and I, and I probably go too far the other way. It's always my child's fault, you know, because I don't want to be one of those parents that you know always blames the teacher. And so we had to be careful about that. But anyway, it's getting off point. Um, we keep the focus self-centered on the child, and the Bible teaches that we should be keeping our focus on others that we can should consider others before ourselves and um that a soft answer turns away wrath and to leave vengeance to the lord and to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us and uh we should be encourage our our children to see the needs of those around us and not just thinking only of themselves and their own self-esteem. One comment he made, which I thought was kind of funny, is like, where in the Bible does it teach that kids should have high self-esteem? It doesn't. I mean, we need to know that we're sinners, (laughs) actually, you know. So I thought that was a pretty good point. Um, The next one uh, sounds kind of 
weird, but I see what he's getting at. The next one he mentioned was saved children, that some parents, all they think about, their whole goal is for their children to get saved. And that's not, I mean, here's their goal, that somewhere they can take their child to a camp or a disciple now or something or a Bible school somewhere where somebody will lead them in the sinner's prayer. And once they've prayed that sinner's prayer, then I'm pretty much done as a parent because they're saved. And, um, and that's very flawed thinking because, first of all, you can never really know if your child is saved. I mean, you can see the outward, but you can't see the inward. And so it's hard. You, you can't judge whether your child is actually saved, even if they said that prayer, that sinner's prayer, that magic prayer, that doesn't necessarily mean that they belong to Jesus, that they've given their heart to Jesus. And secondly, even if they gave their heart to Jesus and they 100% want to follow him, that does not negate our obligation to train them and to teach them in the ways of the Lord. And so it's, it's a flawed goal to have. It's a good thing to want your children. And, of course, we all want our children to accept the Lord and to serve him with their lives. But that profession of faith can't be our goal. Our goal, it, we still have to ch- uh, teach them. It's the Holy Spirit's task to change their hearts. But we have to encourage them and live the life before them that um, of a believer and tenderly encourage them to trust in God with every part of their daily life. The next one seems a little strange too, and it's called family worship, that some people, their whole goal is that they're going to have that family worship time. There's nothing wrong with family worship, but his point is that sometimes they, you have family worship in the home and people are very... Um, they you got to have it at the same time and you got to have um legalistic got to have it at the same time and everybody's got to be there and we're going to sit down together but then the rest of the time you live any way you want and act any way you want and that does not accomplish what you're wanting it to accomplish um sometimes and and this is from a pastor's wife point of view sometimes the worst people to deal with are people who have family worship every day but it's not internalized. Their lives are not changed by the gospel, even though they, they have the appearance of um, being spiritual. It's not internalized, and so uh, it makes it very difficult to deal with people like that. So we have to be careful with that of our children. We want to have these times of worship. We want to make it suitable to our children so they're entertained and so they're well, not, you know, they're engaged. That's the word I meant to use. So they're engaged, and they understand, um, and they're, um, they're soaking in God's truth and, and the Bible stories and that type of thing. But it also has to be reflected in the rest of your life and the rest of your activities and, and what you do. It's not just a once-a-day type activity. The next one I do not like, and he says... <laughs> Well-behaved children is not a good goal. Uh, Well, I blew it. (laughs) Because that was my goal, buddy. I'm having some well-behaved children. I taught school, I told you, and I was not going to have children like that. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, having well-behaved children is not a worthy goal. And I understand that. And uh, now, (laughs) it's a second-hand benefit of biblical child-rearing. 
and, um, but it's unworthy as a goal in and of itself. Sometimes we feel pressure to correct our children because other people are looking and we know, you know, what our children are doing isn't bad and, and that we know their intent, but other people are looking at us like, are you not going to correct that? You know, and so sometimes we correct our children because of that. And also he says it focuses um, on behavior. And this is kind of what I've seen, and I'm being completely honest here with my children, is I focus so much on behavior and didn't always deal with the biblically the biblical part in their heart so that I train my children to be more of manipulators because I train them Clint well Clint and I both that when you meet people you look them in the eye and you shake their hands and you be nice (laughs) so they know how to look people in the eye and smile and shake their hands and be nice but we did but I'm not sure I taught that the biblical, you know, because we love others. <laughs> and so that's his point, that it can't be just their behavior that you're correcting. And it's so much easier just to correct the behavior. Um, uh, and But he says, you know, it, it teaches them to be manipulators so they can turn on the charm when they need to, and they can use that whenever they see the need, and the behavior can become separated from the heart. And... It's rooted in seeing others as more important than self and being more concerned with the interest of others than of yourself. And um, so I see that, you know, uh, but I still want my kids to behave. But (laughs) the next one is good education. And this one is um, talking about that sometimes it's easy to put education, you know, as our top goal because if you have a good education, it opens doors for you, and you're going to be successful. For if you have good grades, and you have a good education, and you go to the best college, you're going to be able to get any job you want, and you'll be successful. And um, that's not a bad thing, again, for them to do their best and to, um, you know, want to succeed in that way. But we have to be diligent for God that it's not all about getting A's, but that they're doing their best work. And um, that their objective is faithfulness and um, that we train them to find strength and power through Christ to do their best work and not necessarily just to get good grades. And um, he talks in there some about how we reward our children, you know, that that is teaching them wrong, that, you know, if you get all A's, you get a dollar for every A, which I think is good incentive. But it's not teaching them to do it for God. It's teaching them to do it for themselves. And um, so, wow. Okay. (laughs) Didn't think about that. (laughs) And the last one um, that he mentions uh, is my least favorite of all because it just pins me down like a bug on a... Okay, it says, um, uh, the last one um, convicts me most. And he says it like this. Some parents simply want to control their children. These parents want their children to mind, to behave, to be good, to be nice. They want their children to be manageable, who do the right thing at the right time, whatever that is at the moment. The bottom line is they want to control their kids, but the control is not directed towards specific character development objectives. The concern is personal convenience and public appearance boy that really um got me 
because um, just this, you know, I want them to be good. I want them to mind. I want them to be nice to everybody. I want them, you know. Uh, and, and all of those things are good things. That's, he's not saying they're not good things. But sometimes when we're in the midst of parenting, we concentrate on those things and neglect to develop the heart or the character that the reason I want you to do these things is because they're pleasing to the Lord and um, they honor and glorify Him. And um, so I, I was, you know, <laughs> do you just, when you read these, you go back through all the things. My boys are 18 and 16 right now. And um, so you guys are very lucky to be hearing these things while your children are small because it's, it's putting in you that when you start to get onto them or discipline them, these things are going to go through your mind about, oh, okay, I need to discipline them, but I need to do it in the right way. And um, uh, we tend to do what, what our parents did, and uh, <clears throat> sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But my boys are 18 and 16 now, and, you know, I thought about some of the things that I had done uh, with them growing up to get them to be nice and behave like um, okay we're going to eat at this restaurant let's see if we can get somebody to notice how well behaved you are <laughs> I bet if we sit here and you use your manners and you're all nice I bet somebody will notice and almost you know every time somebody would come up to the table and say your children are so well behaved Oh, you know, <laughs> I'm so good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, and I thought it was doing good, the boys. Sometimes they would even get a quarter for sitting so still. Isn't that great? <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you think about these things and, and, uh, I'm not saying that all of that, you know. I mean, we do want them to behave, and we do have to discipline them. And and uh, I, I do understand all these things, and I think this is great. And I wish that I had read this and um, when they were younger and thought, of, thought through some of these things about how to discipline and what things to say to them when I was disciplining them instead of don't do that or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but... Um, but uh, so this, it's good to hear. But um, I read over these goals and the things that we do that we don't put God first, and I was just I was so convicted. And uh, I often praised my children for their abilities, as I've said, and uh, without pointing them to Christ and who gave them that ability, and how often I've concentrated on their behavior instead of their hearts and. Um, often I've offered up rewards for good behavior instead of explaining that their behavior is honoring to God and that they, you know, that they should think of others and not scream and run around the restaurant, that that's not pleasing to others. You know, I didn't go through and explain those things. I, I think I w was so concentrated on, um, like having taught school and seen the disrespect for authority, I was so concentrated on that they're going to know that there's always going to be somebody in authority over them, and they're going to respect authority. And it didn't occur to me uh, to spend more time talking about 
God's authority. I, in my mind, and honestly, this is the honest truth, in my mind, that was the whole purpose of my discipline was that so that they would understand there's always authority over them and, and that God is always an authority over them and that they would understand being under someone's authority and, and understand God's authority over us. And, and, but um, to read this and to think about some of the ways I went about it were not the right ways to do that. But um, we can go, but we can always go back and see the things that we, we've done wrong. And, and the one thing he says in here, you know, these are things that shouldn't be our goal. What he says should be our goal, which I totally agree with, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I think that everyone in this room would agree that we want our children to glorify God. That is our goal as parents, that when they grow up and become adults, we want them to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We want them, you know, I I want them, I beg God that he will claim their lives and that they will know his best, that they will choose to follow him and that they will find the path that he has for them and that it will be God's best. And I, I think we'd all agree on that, that we desire that for our children, that we want them to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and, um, but he, he's making the point that we must set this biblical worldview before them from the earliest day. From the early, and I was going to read to you a quote in here. It's on page 46 of the book book. And um, this is what it says. We lose them because we fail to think clearly about man's chief end. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Therefore, your objective in every context must be to set a biblical worldview before your children. From the earliest days, they must be taught that they are creatures made in the image of God, made for God. They must learn that they will only find themselves find themselves as they find him. Our child must grow to see that real living is experienced when we stand before God and say, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And earth has nothing that I desire besides you. Wouldn't, don't you want your children to think that when they grow up? Whom, whom have I but God? And what do I desire besides him? Nothing. If this is what you want for your children, then you must ensure that the content of everyday life fits this objective. And so every day as we're dealing with our children and disciplining them and taking them uh, the places we take them, we have to instill in them this um, love for God and to think about God in every situation. And um, uh, as I was looking over this and thinking about this, um, I was, you know, it's overwhelming to me. I don't know about you, but, you know, to even think about it, even with them now, and they're practically grown, but it, it seems overwhelming to me to try to, draw everything back to a biblical perspective. Do you know what I mean? I mean it's my weakness, I know, and it's, um, I, you know, I wish I had read and studied this when my children were young, but, but I still know, even if I had, I still know how sinful I am, and I still know how weak I am, and I still know how overwhelmed I get with any kind of responsibility. I just don't like responsibility. And 
<laughs> you know, and and just the weight of it, of the responsibility to nurture and train your children with everything you say to them and everything you do to them. It's it's a heavy load, isn't it? And I agree with everything he says, and I so want my children to be like that. And but but then, you know, it's it's me doing it. It's me, and I know my abilities and how who I am, and so it it just gets a little heavy. So when I was thinking about this, and just in the past few weeks reading over this, <clears throat> I always go back to Psalm one thirty nine, which is my favorite chapter in the Bible, and it reminds us that while God has given us a tremendous responsibility, the weight of it all is not on us. The weight of it all is not on us. We have a responsibility, yes, but God is still sovereign, and he still reigns, and he has not left us on our own. He knows um, our going out and our coming in. I'm just going to read this psalm to you. It, it's my favorite. It has been for a long time, and a lot of it, I think, is just my personality. It's very reassuring to me, and... Uh, to know that it, it's not all on me, but uh, I know that you're familiar with it, but I'm going to read, read it for us this morning. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. He knows who I am. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. He knows, my, he knows me. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, to me, that's very reassuring. He, he knew the words on my tongue before I ever said them, and yet he still gave me children. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, he knew. He knew. what I, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Where shall I go to flee from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. I don't know about you, but these last few weeks I've felt a lot like that. The darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night. This, these rainy days, and it's like you're in darkness. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So to me, that's twofold reassuring. Not only does he know who I am, did he form me in the womb and make me the way I am, he formed my children in the womb and made them the way they are, and he knows them. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance 
and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet none of them were. Now, to me, that is so reassuring. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when none of them had come about yet. He already knows the kind of mama I'm going to be and the mistakes I'm going to make. He already knows how my children are going to be and the mistakes they're going to make. They belong to him, not just to me, not just to Clint. They belong to God. He's made them. He's already determined the number of days they're going to be here and what's going to happen to them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. I love this part. Don't you love that? Don't you wish God would slay the wicked? I know, I, I don't know how I should feel about that, but it's fun to say it. <laughs> oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak evil against you. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I love this chapter because it reminds me that no matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter how bad it is or how dark it seems to me, God is there with me, and to him, it's as light. He's already taken care of all of it. And so when I look at my children and I see them doing things that I taught them to do, and I see them doing things that the world has taught them to do that I didn't get out of them, and I see them making decisions that I wish they wouldn't make, and um, when I see them um, choosing to do things that are not honoring to God, and to me, I'm going, why are you doing that? I didn't do a good job. I'm a terrible mama. I didn't have the right goals. I did the wrong thing. I praised them at the wrong time. I praised them in the wrong way. I didn't say the right thing. Then I go back to this and I say, but they're, not, they're God's children. They're not just my children. God gave me a responsibility, but ultimately, he is sovereign. And he has already has a plan made out for them. So I'm here to do the best that I can do to glorify God and to teach them and train them about God. But ultimately, they have to stand before God just like I do. And he already has their, them in his hand and his, their lives planned out before him. He knows they're coming out and they're going in. He knows the thoughts and the words on their tongue before they say them, before we say them. He knew we were going to say those things. And yet he does not leave us. And he does uh, not leave our children. He is sovereign over us and he's sovereign over our children. And we are not without hope. You know, um, the teenage years are not much fun. I'll just go ahead and give you a little peek into that. Because um, they get old enough to start making their own decisions and you think that they're going to be... Um, godly because you've you know taken them to church and taught them bible stories and talked about god and, but they're still sinners 
and they're still going to make bad decisions, and they're still going to do things that disappoint you. So I went and got this. It says hope. It reminds me that I am not without hope and that God already has a plan for them, and he's, he's got it. So I think that we should... I'm glad that we have this book to look at and to think about as we're training our children and we're raising our children and we're teaching our children. But don't never forget that it doesn't completely depend on you. So if you lose it and yell at them and scream at them and throw things at them, then just pray that they won't remember that. <laughs> just remember that God has it all in his hand. He knows, he knows us, he knows us. And yet he still gave us children to take care of and to raise. And so um, just be encouraged on that, that um, he's sovereign overall. Um, there's one story I want to tell you, and it really doesn't fit in anywhere, but it just makes me laugh. And <laughs> it will tell you that I did teach my children the Bible. I did teach them the Bible. I may not have done everything the way he says to do it, but I did read them the Bible stories and teach them. One time when the boys were real little, Nate was probably four, three or four, Mike was probably five or six, and it was Saturday night, and it was time for them to go to bed so we could get up and go to church the next morning, and Mike was, as always, telling Nate what to do and what he needed to do and getting him up the stairs because we got to go to church in the morning, and Nate was not wanting to go to bed, and so Mike was saying, get on up, we got to go to church, we got to go to church in the morning, so we got to go to bed, and we were downstairs, and we had a house that had the upstairs where you can hear, you know, the landing, and all of a sudden, you hear Nate stamping, I will not honor, let's see what it is, I will not keep the Sabbath day, and I will not honor, and I will not keep it holy. <laughs> You know, so anyway, that was not a good thing, but he didn't know the commandment. <laughs> but it was so funny because for him to respond, I will not remember the Sabbath and I will not keep it holy. And then Max, Mom! you know, that was, but anyway, and he's still pretty much that way today, by the way. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, um, Anyway, we, we teach them, but how they interpret it and how they choose to respond, thank you, is there between them and the Lord. So be encouraged that it's, yes, we have a responsibility, but don't forget God is sovereign. Okay. I don't know if I went long enough or too long or what, Tammy, but <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll lead us in a quick word of prayer, and then we'll go to our Lord, thank you so much for for loving us the way you do, for accepting that we are not perfect and that we are not perfect mamas, that we love our children. Lord, we long for them to, to know you. We long for them to, to desire you and to do the things that please you, Father. And we pray that you would take a hold of them, take their hearts, make them yours, Give them your desires. Give them your heart and help them to seek you. Help us, Father. Give us wisdom. We can't do this without you. We need wisdom. 
And we pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us the words, that you would stop us when we are saying things that are un, un, um, pleasing, not pleasing to you or that are um, not good for teaching and training our children, that you would um, stop the words in our mouth and that you would cause us to pause and reflect. And that, Father, in that time of reflection, that you would provide the words, the wisdom, to point them to you and not turn them from you. Father, we love you so much, and we know that your, your path and glorifying you and, and living for you is the only way they will have joy and hope in this world. And so we give them to you completely and ask you to please help us. We love you and we thank you that we are not without hope, Father. Amen.